0: Well, we're back to pre-recording and um, you know there are advantages to that. I think one of them is that this morning uh, the three of us are here sitting in the sanctuary and all of our thoughts are focused on you. Uh, It's not like you're listening in to me talk to the crowd that are going to be in this room tomorrow. I get to talk specifically to you and share with you from God's Word what's on my heart in a way that relates specifically to those of you that are at the Beacon. So um, I hope you'll notice... We're changing our schedule a bit. I'm going to be out there live more often than I have been. Uh, Pastor Darrell and Ray and, and Dennis are going to be out there periodically. Uh, but there are times when uh, we're just going to be doing the recording, and I'm, I'm thankful that, that these guys are willing to spend time with me to do it. I have a lot to share with you this morning, and I want to invite you to take your Bibles or your electronic device, whatever you have, and find 1 Samuel chapter 7. Uh, we're going to be looking at this passage and talking about leadership and what kind of leader God wants. So um, I'm looking forward to spending the time with you talking about that. A lot of things to tell you today, so let's pray together, okay? Father, we love you, and we thank you for the opportunity that we have to um, gather together. I realize there's a uh, 26-hour split between the time that I'm saying these words and the time that you are going to let your people hear them. But I pray that every one of them will understand that this is my way of being able to pour my heart out to them, in the same way that I'll be pouring my heart out to the people in this room tomorrow morning at ten. And I pray that you will um, open our hearts by your Spirit, that we will hear what you have to say, and that you will um, that you will speak. Because if you don't speak, none of my words mean anything. So we want you to speak to us today, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, it started last Monday. I went along with Sharon to what's called the Southern Baptist Convention Pastors' Conference. It's a, a prequel to the Southern Baptist Convention every year. It's kind of a misnomer; it's not really just for pastors. Anyone can go, but um, it was—it's a day uh, really given to preaching, and Bible study, and feeding, and a lot of challenging. And um, during the course of the day, uh, the Lord started working on my heart and and helping me to see uh, some things in my life and in our life as a church family. And um, by the time dinner time rolled around, and we were hosted by the International Mission Board, Dr. David Platt, the IMB president, uh, talking about missions involvement, we had had lunch with the North American Mission Board folks, and uh, Kevin Ezel, their director, um, and again and again and again, I was challenged with the fact that, to be perfectly honest, and that's, I'm going to be that way this entire morning, which I like, I guess I hope I am every time we talk, but um, I began being burdened with the fact that we are not the kind of Great Commission Church that we ought to be, that God would want us to be. And I was feeling in my heart this, uh, I guess, this godly discontent, you know, that that things just aren't right, that things need to be different. And um, and I want to tell you the whole pattern of my thoughts, so you're going to have to stick with me because I don't want you to get the wrong impression. But when I left Monday night, I was so burdened by the need for us to be uh, honoring Christ, declaring Him to the nations, being witnesses for Him in our communities and everything that I thought to myself, either these people have got to change or I've got to go. That's a blunt thing to say, but but that's what I was feeling in that moment. I thought, you know what? I cannot continue to pastor a church where all I do is manage the organization. We have got to get ourselves back on mission again. We've got to get ourselves focused on why we are here, what our purpose is. And I'll tell you a little bit more about what I believe those purposes are in a few minutes. But but it was very much of of a me and them kind of a a thought process. (sighs) But I knew that wasn't the whole thing. So Tuesday morning, I was, we started the convention. I was thinking. I was praying. I was working on, on my thoughts and, and, and what is it that God was trying to say to me? What is it we were trying to do? And then Tuesday night, we had this uh, call to prayer. It was, a, it was simulcast. It was all over the world by audio, by video, on radio, on television. And uh, the first thing that Dr. Ronnie Floyd, our convention president, had us do was to get on our knees. And he talked about the new wine and the old wineskins. And he talked about how we as pastors have to ask ourselves whether we are being fully released and used by him or are we stiff and closed in the way we do things. And he got us all down on our knees. And before my knees could hit the concrete floor of America's Center, the Lord said to me, Steve, my son, the problem is not with them. The problem is with you. (laughs) You are the problem. You have relied on your inexperience, your inadequacies, your fears. You have have used those things to keep you from leading my people to be the kind of people that I want them to be. You've done it. And I began to cry. I wept inconsolably. I I was sobbing. I was. I was saying, Father, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Because what the Lord was saying to me was not so much, Steve, you failed, but he said, when you say, I can't do these things, when you say, I don't have enough experience, I don't have the background, I don't have the training to do these things, what you're really saying is not about you, it's about me. You're saying, I'm not strong enough to enable you to do what you know you can't do. And he was exactly right. And I kept saying, over oh, and over, Father, please forgive me, please forgive me. Well, Wednesday was not a very, a very emotional day. Wednesday, I was walking through this. Okay, Lord, what do I need to do? Do do I need to step out of the way? Was I the wrong person for the the role? And he kept saying to me, no, son, you're exactly who I want in this role. I just want you to trust me. I want you to be courageous. I want you to stand firm. I want you to lead my people in the direction that you want them to go. The time of drought is over. The time of being stuck is done. I'm going to draw a line right here. And from this point forward, I want you to lead. I want you to lead with courage. Remember Moses, who was a great leader, but also was the most humble man that ever walked the earth. I want you to be humble. I don't ever want you to think that you have all the answers, but I want you to understand you have to trust me, and I will give you the strength you need to lead these people to places that they have never been before. So I'm sitting here in front of this camera looking at you this morning telling you that i've drawn a line in the sand and i'm going to begin with god's help to more and more effectively be the kind of leader that i think you want that i know god wants and it's interesting somebody asked me a few weeks ago can you really plan a sermon six months in advance and think it's going to apply to the situation of the day well there are times when i have to change or tweak but it's amazing that our passage for today is from first samuel chapter seven Because at this point, the children of Israel have been in a malaise for about 20 years. (laughs) They they have been stuck. Let me just quickly bring you up to date. Chapters 4 through 7 of 1 Samuel are called the Ark Narratives. Because in chapter 4... Uh, the Israelites go out to battle against the Philistines. They suffer a loss of 4,000 troops. They say, what have we done wrong? They say, let's take the Ark of the Covenant. We'll take it out into battle with us. Never asked God what he wanted. Never asked Samuel what he thought they ought to do. They just said, let's grab this this magic genie in a bottle uh, called the Ark of the Covenant, and we'll take it out, and we will win this battle. And they went out to battle, and 30,000 soldiers were killed, and the Ark was taken by the Philistines. Well, that only lasted about seven months, and the Philistines said, this thing is too powerful for us. They were suffering all kinds of plagues and stuff like that, so they took it and and dropped it off, and it was there in another place for a while, and finally, the people there um, were—made the mistake, I guess I could say, of thinking, we'll take a little peek inside the ark, which was not something you were supposed to do, and so um, they were struck by God for for disobeying his laws. Finally— The Ark ends up in a town called Kiriath-Jarim. And it was in the hands of a man named Aminadab, Aminadab and his son, and they were caring for the Ark of the Covenant. But understand, this Ark was being cared for by these men in their home and their, at their place. So there was, no, there was no tabernacle. There was no altar. There was no place for them to come before the Lord, before the Ark, and pray. It was sitting there for 20 years. Verse 2 of 1 Samuel chapter 7, it kind of leads into our text for today, says that time went by until 20 years had passed since the Ark had been taken to Kiriath-Jarim. Then the whole house of Israel began to seek the Lord. And that text resonated with where I was, where I've been this week, because they had sat on hold for 20 years, and they finally said, we've got to do something. We've got to get moving in the right direction, and they began to seek the Lord, and that's exactly what I was doing. I was seeking the Lord. I had a notebook with me Wednesday, Thursday, yesterday, even this morning in my quiet time, this Saturday morning in my quiet time, saying, Lord, what is it that you want me to say? What is it you want me to do? So the people began to seek the Lord. And in verse 3, it says that Samuel told them, if you are returning to the Lord with all of your heart, in other words, if you're serious about this, because you've got to remember, back through the books of Judges and all those times, there were a lot of times they'd fall away from the Lord. They'd say we're coming back. They didn't really mean it. They'd fall away again. But he says, if you're serious about returning to the Lord with all your heart, There's three things you need to do. First of all, get rid of the foreign gods and the asterisks that are among you. In other words, get all of the things that have come between you and God, get them out of your life, get them out of your way so that they won't hinder you. Number two, dedicate yourselves to the Lord. And number three, worship only Him. So Samuel said, if you're serious about this, if you really are serious, then you need to put away the things that have come into your life between you and me, serve God only, commit yourself wholeheartedly to Him, and worship Him. You see, it's hard maybe for me to call it an idol, but really, my insecurities, my fears, um, my lack of experience, uh, my feeling I was incapable, unable, uh, ungifted at certain things, those had become something that had come between me and my ability to serve God. So in a sense, that was my idol. And the Lord says, you've got to get that out of your way. You've got to focus on me and serve me and worship me and me only. So in verse 4, it says the Israelites removed the Baals and the Asterisks, and they only worshiped the Lord. And then the Lord did what he said he would do. At the end of verse 3, he said, then God will rescue you from the hand of the Philistines. So God did that. They they submitted themselves to the Lord. They put away all the things that had kept them from him. And if we read on down through the passage, and I'm just going to fly over it. They, were, they had victory. You see, Samuel told them to come together in um, verse, verse uh, 5. He said, gather together at Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord on your behalf. And so they came together, and when they got together, the Philistines heard they were all together, and they thought, wow, what a great time to launch an attack. They're all there. There's no way they can defend themselves. We're just going to raid them. We're going to attack them. If you see down at verse 7, it says, When the Philistines heard that the Israelites had gathered at Mizpah, their rulers marched up toward Israel. And guess what? They were afraid. When Israel heard about it, they were afraid because of the Philistines. If you you remember, back in chapter 4, they thought, Oh, we have our lucky rabbit's foot here. We'll be fine. Now they understand this is God's battle, not ours. And they were afraid. And so they called out to the Lord and asked him, and they said to Samuel in verse 8, don't stop crying out to the Lord our God for us so that he will save us from the hand of the Philistines. And Samuel did that, and God brought a great sound. I don't, we don't know exactly what it was. Was it was it thunder or, or, or what? But there was, there was this, it says in verse 10, the Lord thundered loudly against the Philistines that day and threw them into such confusion that they fled before Israel. And the men of Israel had a great victory, it says in verse 11, striking them down all the way to a place below Bethkar. You see, they focused their attention on God. They got themselves right. They put away all these other things. They focused on the Lord, and the Lord says, I will give you victory. I will take you into places that you've not been before. And then they did something very interesting. Verse 12, it says, Afterward, Samuel took a stone, set it upright between Mizpah and Shen. He named it Ebenezer, explaining the Lord has helped us up to this place. Now, some people think that means geographically. In other words, they had gone that far. I think it means more chronologically. In other words, up till now, up till this point, God has led us. Now, let's see where he takes us in the next chapter. And that stone became a reminder to them of what had happened. And then it says, as we continue, it says that God gave them back the territory. It says, verse 13, the Philistines were subdued, did not invade Israel's territory again. The Lord's hand was against the Philistines all of Samuel's life. Verse 14 says, the cities from Ekron to Gath, which they had taken from Israel, were restored. Israel even rescued their surrounding territories from Philistine control. And there was also peace between Israel and the Amorites. So God not only gave them a victory that day, he continued to bless them with one victory after another. They continued to move forward. And it says in verse uh, 15 to the end of the chapter that Samuel continued to judge Israel. Now, you've got to remember, a judge in biblical times doesn't mean like a courtroom judge. It means someone who stood and declared God's word and then helped the people come back to God when they began to stray. In a lot of ways, that's kind of the role of a pastor. I don't necessarily want to be called Judge Stephen, but uh, we have enough Judge Judys and those other judges. But... But, but in a sense, to bring God's word to God's people so they can see how they need to change their lives in order to be in line with him. That's what Samuel did. And it says every year he would go and he would visit. And the Lord was there and he blessed them all the days of Samuel's life. You know, we have Ebenezer's. You're sitting in one this morning. I'm sitting in one on this Saturday morning. I guess our first real physical Ebenezer is down at 200 Park Street, that little building that a group of people, by faith, trusting God, built when the first Baptist Church of Waterloo was first founded back in 1954. Another one is 320 Covington Drive, where, again, in faith, that congregation moved out from downtown, came out here, what then was on the outskirts of town, and built this building that we are in today. Another one is 718 North Market Street. But it's not just physical Ebeneezers. God does things throughout our life as a church family and throughout our lives as individuals to remind us that he is with us and he has guided, he has given us victory. There's a house down on Main Street that was roach infested that we went down and put on our masks and put on our gloves and cleaned for that lady and her kids. There's a house over off of Church Street where the roof was peeling away and we went down there to a young family struggling just to get by and put a new roof on their house. There are all kinds of other Ebenezer's that we could mention. God gives us these markers to remind us, I have led you this far. And beloved, I want to set up a spiritual Ebenezer stone today for us. I want us to understand that for this point God has led us and even though we have gone through a period of maybe two or three years where we just feel like we're just treading water, God says, I'm not finished with you yet. I have things I want us to do together. I, you have a future. Yes, we have a, some great Ebenezer stones in our past, but we can't dwell on our past. We can remember our past, but we can't dwell there. We have to continue to move forward. We've got to get our oars in the water and begin rowing together, moving forward, saying, Lord, what is it you want us to do in order for us to become a great commission church? And I believe God says, I have a direction I want you to go in. I've given you pastors and deacons to lead you as we move forward in that direction so what does that mean for me as your pastor it means I am committing myself in front of you through video and in two weeks I'm gonna be there live and we're gonna talk about this more I'm committing myself to do everything in my power under God's leadership and with his strength to boldly and courageously lead us to become once again the great commissioned church that he has called us to be. If I have to do it all by myself, I will do it by myself, but I don't think I'll be by myself. Well, of course, I know God will be with me, but I think many of you, We'll begin to see how we are moving forward. You'll say, Pastor, I'll help you with that. Pastor, I'll work with you on this. Pastor, I'll take care of this. Pastor, I'll work on these things. But I'm going to do everything I can with God's help to take care of us becoming spiritually the people that God wants us to be. Last Sunday in this building, I shared the three things I believe God saves us to accomplish or to do. And if you want to, you can just jot down these verses of Scripture. They're not going to be on the, on the screen. I just want to read them to you quickly. But there's three things I think that, that, that our salvation is designed for. The first one, Jesus himself said when he was praying his high priestly prayer to his father. In John chapter 17, he says, this is in verses 2 and 3. It says, you have given him, meaning, speaking of himself, you have given him authority over all flesh so that he may give eternal life to all that you have given him. Remember, Jesus is is, is, preach, is praying to the Father. He says, so that you, he may give eternal life to all you have given him. And listen to what he says in verse 3 of John chapter 17. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. The first reason why we have brought into a relationship with God through salvation is so that we might know God more fully. Know Him, know His Son, know what His plan is for us, know Him as our Father, know Him as a caring, kind, gracious, loving, giving Father. And the second thing, and I could have chosen any number of scriptures, but I chose Ephesians chapter 4. In Ephesians chapter 4, beginning at verse 20, he says about how you came to know the Messiah— And in verse 22, he says, you took off your former way of life, the old self that is created by deceitful desires. You are being renewed in the spirit of your minds. You put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness in righteousness and purity of the truth. In other words, the second reason why we come into a relationship with God is so that we can be formed, shaped, molded into the image of God. See, as we come to know God and know Jesus Christ more fully, we understand how we need to be changed in order to be more like him. And then the third thing, Is found in first peter a verse that we all know the beginning of but we don't always listen to the rest of in first peter chapter 2 verse 9 peter says this but you are a chosen race a royal priesthood a holy nation a people for his possession and we know that part of the verse we know it very well but listen to what he says he says why we were made that way why were we saved why did we become a chosen race a royal priesthood a holy nation a people for his possession so that he says So that you may proclaim the mighty deeds of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So we come to know God more fully and to know Christ. Our lives are shaped and conformed in his image. And then we go out into a world to declare the mighty deeds that he has done in us. Bring us out of darkness into marvelous light so that they too can have that transformation in their lives. I believe with all my heart that my job is to boldly, courageously, fearlessly, maybe at times even fiercely, to stand and say, this is the direction God is taking us. This is what he wants us to do. This is how he wants us to know him more. This is how he wants to shape us. This is how he wants us to declare his mighty deeds. We have our four banners in this room, and you know them just as well as the folks in here do. My role as a pastor is to help us to worship God more fully, to connect with one another in relationships of mutual support and accountability, to grow spiritually as we learn what it is that He wants us to do, and then to reach out into our community, into a lost world. Now I need you to hear what I'm fixing to say because it's important. There are a lot of important things in the life of our church that I can't care about because it gets me off task of what I need to be. To be honest with you, I don't care what happens to our parking lot. To be honest with you, I don't care if we take off the front doors of the, of, the, of the main building and sand them down and repaint them or buy new ones. I really can't care whether we decide to paint this room or the team kid room one color or another color because those are things that are important. Don't get me wrong. Every one of those things are important. But I can't let those take priority over the task that we have to know God, to be formed into His likeness, and to declare His mighty deeds to the nations. Beloved, there are eight thousand people in this city who will die without christ we are commanded by christ to go and declare his glory to those people now i'm not going to tell you that someday we're going to stand before the throne and that lost neighbor that lost that lost friend is going to look at us and, and shake their finger and say why didn't you tell me the gospel they may or they may not but that's not my point my point is that we have been commanded to, to know him to be shaped into his likeness, and to go and declare his glory to the nations. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to stand before God as a disobedient child. So my task as pastor, my task as a leader, my task to us as a church family is I'm going to do everything in my power. And to help me in doing that, I'm calling on our deacons to come alongside and take responsibility for helping with all of those non-eternal issues that we deal with so that I can keep my focus and Pastor Darrell can keep his focus on these eternal things, on these spiritual matters that lead us to be a great commission church. Our parking lot is important. Our debt out there at the beacon is important. Our sanctuary, our our doors, our security system, all those things are important, but they're not the most important. The most important is are we being obedient to the call of Christ to be great commission people? Jesus said in Matthew 28, as you are going, make disciples, baptize them, which means incorporate them into the fellowship of body and teach them to observe everything I've commanded you. That is our great commission mandate. And that's what I pledge to you. That's what the deacons pledge to you. That's what Pastor Darrell pledges to you, is that we will do our best with God's help and in God's strength to do that. Now, what is God going to do? Well, let me tell you what he's already done, okay? Just so you kind of know how God works. Wednesday morning, I got up after having not slept very well Tuesday night, and said, Lord, I've drawn a line. You really have drawn the line, and I'm stepping across it. I will courageously, I will fearlessly, as best I can, knowing that I'm a frail, fallible human, a sinner. I will trust your strength to do through me what I can't do in my own power. Help me to be strong, to be courageous. And I felt in my heart a sense of peace. The Lord saying, that's exactly what I need you to do. And let me tell you what happened after that. Three hours later, I got a text message from a man by the name of Jason Vincent. Jason was a pastor of Garden Heights Baptist Church over in Belleville. When he went there, the church was already terminal, humanly speaking. The church was down to such weakness that they just could not survive. And lot like the Valmire Church, they just had to close their doors. And Jason sent me a text. He said, Pastor Steve, I know that you have a heart for the lost and a heart for the community. Hmm. Isn't that Interesting. He said i would like to meet with you and talk to you about how maybe your church might consider prayerfully working with us to restart in the garden heights building a new church to god's glory isn't that interesting about an hour and a half later i got a text message from ben chapman pastor down at first baptist redbud many of you know that redbud has been involved in an ongoing project of going to cuba and ministering to cuban churches and he and I had lunch a couple of weeks ago, and we were talking about perhaps us going with them next year to Cuba, just really for information, just on a fact-finding thing. The way it works is is that Redbud has partnered with a specific church in Cuba, and they're ministering with them as they start new churches in the villages surrounding their town. And then what we would do is we would come along and go with them. And then after a year or two or three, if we feel the Lord leading us, we would find a church that we could partner with and do the very same thing. And then as God would have it, maybe we would bring a church along with us and they would do the very same thing. So one church at a time, one American church, one Cuban church, as we spread the gospel across that island. Okay, so that's where I was, thinking, okay, I'm going to talk to you guys about maybe us taking a a fact-finding trip, just walking alongside the people at Redbud and then pray. And we're still going to do that. But Ben sent me a text about 3 o'clock Wednesday afternoon and said, Steve, I just talked to Pastor Guillermo, the pastor of our partner church in Cuba. There is a church already looking and praying about a partner church. I think they would be perfect for you guys. So when you come, you're going to start right from square one getting to know these people so that you can pray about whether God would want you to partner with them or not. Hmm, a second time. Isn't it interesting? That is the minute I said, Lord, I want us to lead I want to lead us and I want us to go forward, he began sending me resources. I went to a luncheon that the North American Mission Board put together talking about a new approach to doing local missions and evangelism called send relief. See if this sounds familiar. We go into our community doing things in the community that minister to the community so that out of that we can spark conversations that can lead to us sharing the gospel with our unsaved neighbors and friends. I'll turn the other way this time. Hmm. Isn't that interesting? That... (coughs) God is saying, okay, I want to get you back out into your community, and now I'm going to bring the full force of the entire North American Mission Board behind you to give you resources, to give you things that you need to come in and help mobilize what you need to do in order to do the work that God has called you as First Baptist of Waterloo to do. Went to an IMB dinner, the one that God first began breaking me at, as David Platt talked about a new way for reaching the nations. And I'm not going to talk about that right now, but you're going to be hearing a lot about that during the summer using our career missionaries as the foundation and the core, but then sending out people, couples, individuals, retired people, people who are entrepreneurs, people who can launch their own businesses, people who can get jobs on the field in secular business, but they can come alongside and work along with our career missionaries to be able to multiply tenfold the number of people that we have on the field sharing the gospel. Hmm. So you see, the minute we begin to say, Lord, we're ready— We've humbled ourselves. We have put aside our idols. We have focused ourselves on you. God begins to say, okay, this is what I have for you. This is where I want you to go. Now, I want to talk to you for just a minute specifically about the beacon because I want to give you something to think about. And in two weeks when I'm out there live, we're going to take some time out of the teaching time to talk about this question. So I'm giving you two weeks to think about it, all right? A lot of times we think about us being one church, meeting in two rooms simultaneously. That's fine. In some sense, that's exactly what we are. So whether you're at the beacon, whether you're here in the sanctuary, we're basically one church, we're just in two rooms. You could have just easily been upstairs, in the, te- in, in the room upstairs, or, or um, in the back room, on, on the back hallway of this building. But in two rooms, but still kind of tied together. Would your thinking be different? better or worse, but but different, if we truly saw that group of believers, you guys that are sitting there right now in the beacon, as if you were a church plant, as if you were a satellite, just like Valmire, just like uh, other places might would be, you would be a church plant, you would be your own autonomous and yet tethered congregation, planning, working, thinking about how you could most effectively reach the people that God is calling you to reach. Would that change the way you think about when you have your service, how you have your service, what goes on inside the service? Or would it all be the same? I want you to think about that because we're gonna talk about that in two weeks. I know that's 4th of July weekend. I know a lot of you won't be here probably that long weekend. Let me tell you, if you're not gonna be here on July the 3rd, you need to email me or text me any thoughts you have. And please believe me, it does not matter to me whether it's a positive or a negative. I need to hear all of your thoughts about this because I think sometimes we don't think missionally enough about the beacon. I don't think we think missionally enough about what you are doing every Sunday morning, what we are doing every Sunday morning, what we as a church are doing every Sunday morning in that building. There's a reason why God gave it a separate address maybe. <laughs> so we really could feel like it's, it's almost as if it were off our campus, even though it's not technically but it's a church plant. It's its own entity. How would that change the way you personally would view what we do every weekend at the Beacon? So think about that. I'm not proposing anything. I just want us to pray and think about how we would think about inviting our friends, how we would craft the service, whether we would maybe do it on a Saturday night instead of a Sunday morning. I I don't know. I don't want to throw any ideas out there except to say to you, pray about it. And on July 3rd, I'll be out there and we're going to talk about what would it look like if we truly saw ourselves as a church plant? How would that change the way we think? So, what am I going to do? And the deacons, we're going to do our best to courageously and fearlessly lead us forward. Now, you've got to understand, any time a boat revs up its engine and starts to move forward, there's pushback. I understand that, and I'm ready for that. I understand. But we're going to have to love each other and trust each other so that as we move forward, we see what it is it God is doing and the progress that he is calling us to make as we go forward. We won't ignore the pushback, but we'll understand that's a part and parcel of moving forward. What's God doing? He's already beginning to open doors for us. We had nine first-time guests last Sunday. He's going to continue to bring us people that say, I want to be a part of something that looks like a Great Commission Church. Last thing I want to talk about, though, is what do we all need to do together? This past week, God walked me through first samuel chapter 7 he said steve you need to put away the things that are blocking you from keeping your focus on me your fears your insecurities your 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 concerns your inadequacies and just trust me look just to me and serve me only and i want to call all of us today to do that very thing if we're going to become a great commission a great commission church we have to be great commission believers we have to be great commission followers. And that means we have to ask ourselves, what are the idols in our lives that are keeping us away from fully serving Christ, from fully yielding, from laying everything down before Him and saying, Lord, this is not mine. It belongs to you. My job, my family, my future, my house, my car, my possessions, everything I have, I lay them down. Someone said this past week at the convention, you're never afraid of someone taking something away from you if you've laid it down. When we lay all of this down to the Lord, then whatever He chooses to do with it will be fine because He loves us. He cares about us. And He can give us the courage to move out forward. So we have to make sure if there are any idols in our lives, anything that is keeping us from fully focusing on Him, we need to get those things out of our lives. And I'm challenging you right now to do just that. Number two, we've got to get our focus 100% on Christ and Christ alone. Every decision we make must be focused on him. That's why I said a few weeks ago, our, my mantra this summer is exalting Christ in all things. Exalting him, looking to him in all things. And the third thing that leads us to serve him only. John Piper, former pastor of the Bethlehem Baptist Church in St. Paul, made a statement one time that was kind of challenging. He said, "The reason we have to have a missions program is because we don't do worship well. And I had to read through that a few times and think about what he said. His book was called Let the Nations Be Glad. Dr. Piper's point was this. If we are truly exalting Christ, if we are seeing him mold and shape our lives, we can't help but go out and share what he's doing in our lives with those around us. Some of you will remember several years ago when Vernon Modulin went to Cuba. Ironically, it was Cuba. And he came back, and one of the things that he said when he came back was, that he watched those young communist youth organization members on the campus of the University of Havana, and they were passionate. They would grab fellow students by the shirt sleeves sleeve saying, you need to join us. You need to be a part of who we are. And Vernon, with tears coming down his face in this pulpit, said, I wish we as Christians could be that passionate about our love for Christ. So what we need to begin doing, what I'm challenging you to do today, is to ask yourself, what am I really passionate about? Do I have any idols, any things in my life that come between me and Christ? If so, what do I need to do to get those things out of the way? I need to abandon them and say, Lord, forgive me, just like I had to do on my knees Tuesday night. Lord, forgive me for letting all of those things keep me from trusting you. Do you understand when you do that, it's not about you, it's about him. Every time I cling on to something, I'm saying, Lord, I trust this more than I trust you. It's not God first and these other things. It's God first and God only. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my soul. Focus on him and covenant that you will serve him and serve him only. Let's pray together. Father, you have done a painful work in my life this week. I have shed more tears this week than I probably have in the last six months but it was good I needed you to crush me I needed you to break me I needed you to show me how I was allowing fear and insecurity and inadequacy become an idol in my life it was keeping me from fully serving you father you are a great and an awesome God you have all power all wisdom all majesty all glory and Lord I pray that in all of our hearts and all of our lives we will come to the realization that what we cannot do in and of ourselves you can do exceeding abundantly beyond all that we could ask or imagine. So, Father, you have set an Ebenezer stone in our hearts today. You have said, I have led you to this point. Now, let's move out and see where we're going to go from here. I thank you for giving me this opportunity. I thank you for giving me strength where I am weak. And I pray that together, every one of us, will be challenged to abandon our idols to focus on you and to serve and worship you and you only. In the name of